Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns. I'm one of your hosts for this episode. And joining me once again is the lovely, fabulous Mr. Courtney Pye. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? You okay? Um, Hello, everyone. Yeah, it's been a decent week for me. It's been a great week for the podcast itself. So feeling a lot better right now than I was compared to last week. And I hope everyone's keeping their, uh, their spirits as high as they can right now. Absolutely. And uh, couldn't agree more. It's been a very good week for this podcast. Obviously, we're referring to the last episode that we made talking about Lewis Hamilton's current contract situation. If you haven't already seen it, I recommend you check that out. Just pointing up there where the little card comes over the top. Seems to be quite getting a knack for that, almost like a little magic trick there. So, But definitely check that out. It's doing really, really well so far. And you guys are really engaged into it. So everyone that's checked that out, and liked it and commented and subscribed to the channel. Thank you so much. If you are a new subscriber and joined us recently, welcome to the DNF1 family. We're absolutely buzzing to have you along with us on this journey. And we hope that you stick around and enjoy all the content that we've got to come. We've got plenty more coming your way. And speaking of Lewis Hamilton, at time of recording this, which is a Thursday evening in the UK, this episode will be out on Friday, possibly. Um, just like to say happy birthday to the king himself, Mr. Or should I say Sir Lewis Hamilton? Yeah. Forgive me for my lack of etiquette on that one. Sir Lewis Hamilton, happy birthday to you, sir. 36 today. And um, whilst that is not an old age, of course, in sporting terms, it might as well be considered a veteran. Um, if Lewis Hamilton does go on to win an eighth world title, he will be the oldest world champion since Alain Prost in 1993, I believe, if my maths is right. So um, it doesn't seem like an old age 36. But yeah, in Formula One terms, Lewis definitely, uh, he will be the second oldest driver or third oldest driver on the grid, I should say, now that Fernando Alonso is coming back. So I'm sure he will appreciate uh, that recognition rather than being second to Kimi Raikkonen in that regard, wouldn't you say, Courtney? Yeah, but uh, 
I think when it comes to Lewis, I think if all goes well with the uh, with the contract negotiations, again, please have a look at the previous episode. We did go through that in quite a bit of depth. Hmm. Um, yeah, if, if, if it continues and he continues winning races, he's, he's going to be going into over 100 race wins and 100 pole positions, which is absolutely crazy. Um, so very, very exciting times for Lewis if he was to continue and... As a fan, I'd like to thank you for the memories, Lewis, if you are, for whatever reason, listening to uh, a small podcast like ours. Thank you for the memories, Lewis, and uh, here's to an exciting 2021. And I wouldn't but that be exciting. He just casually comments in and he just says, yep, thanks, guys. I'm like, oh, we've made it, Mum. <laughs> like, um... uh, Obviously, the reason why we're going to be doing this episode is not about Lewis Hamilton, as much as we like to talk about the F1 King. um, We are going to be dedicating this episode in particular to the news with Williams. So uh, for those of you that haven't heard, Williams have now reached an agreement with the Mercedes team to take uh, an F1 gearbox and hydraulic system supply from them from 2022. Now, that is quite a big story. Now, it's no... uh, it's not really strange to see teams having synergies or technical partnerships in F1. We've seen Red Bull have that with Alpha Tauri for many, many years. I mean, they brought them into Formula One as a B team. We've seen Ferrari uh, with Alfa Romeo quite commonly. And in recent times with Haas, and that's going to be extended further with the Mick Schumacher project, if you like. And now Mercedes have added to their ranks, if you like, with another possible junior team in some regards, I wouldn't say completely, it's more like a middle ground option with Williams, um, in addition to other teams that they're supplying in Aston Martin and also the McLaren team from 2021 as well. So this isn't an uncommon thing, but for Williams, this is certainly foreign territory. And these, um, you know, these parts are also going to include some transferable parts as well. And the nature of those, we're not really sure. It's probably most likely going to be stuff like the rear suspension and rear body work that sort of lines up with the gearbox, the engine and the hydraulic system that they will have in 2022. Um, this is very much a softening of their idealism stance, Corny, that you like. And by that, I mean, Williams are very much a team in its history of always been seen as an independent team. They've not relied on manufacturers. In some ways, they've been a manufacturer themselves, considering um, the entirety of the car, bar the power supply, has been manufactured in-house. You know, they've got the facilities. And anyone that has never never been to the Williams factory to see it for themselves, I definitely recommend it. It's an absolute work of art. One of the best facilities that the public can go see in Formula One, if not the best, is absolutely fantastic with the history embroidered in it and embedded in that as well. You can really see why they've been so successful. But as of late, their success has windered. They now find themselves at the back of the grid. Therefore, the new owners, Dalton Capital, have taken this decision to go for a more pragmatic approach to try and seek out ways the team can improve in performance, but also allocate personnel and areas and resources to areas that need them more um, to sort of drive the team going forward. Courtney, uh, before I say any more on this, what are your thoughts on this? Are you surprised that Williams have taken this approach to go, f- um, not to become a B team, uh, as some may suggest, but to increase this technical partnership with Mercedes and take on a new gearbox and hydraulic system? Yeah, when it comes to uh, 
a team like Williams relying on resources from Mercedes, it's not entirely a surprise to me because I've noticed, particularly since the start of the turbo hybrid era, era, it seems that the smaller teams have almost become, shall we say, academies almost for the big teams. So like the Mercedes powered teams, the Ferrari and the Red Bull. And we, we, we saw it primarily with drivers. And I think last season with the whole George Russell switch and the whole idea that George Russell will eventually end up at Mercedes, it's almost like these teams are, teams like Williams, Aston Martin. It's, it's always been the case with Alpha Tauri, with Red Bull. That's always been the case. But we're starting to see it happen now with Ferrari, with Haas and Alfa Romeo. Now we're seeing it with Mercedes, particularly with Williams and I suppose with Aston Martin as well, it seems that the, these smaller teams are almost, yeah, they're almost academies for for the big teams like Mercedes. And when you have a look back at Williams, I suppose the easy way to describe this would be to compare it to football. Now, Williams were one of the most successful teams, particularly in the 70s, late 70s, 80s and 90s. And I suppose the best way I can compare it is almost like Liverpool becoming a championship team and then relying on loans from teams like Manchester United and Manchester City in order to compete. That's probably the best way to have a look at it. But we, yeah, as I said, the original point, it started with drivers primarily, young drivers coming through from driver academies like Mercedes, Ferrari, and eventually, for example, Russell drive for Williams and end up at Mercedes. But now we're starting to see it happen with other resources. And I don't, I don't know if I feel entirely comfortable with that. I mean, it's good that they'll have a chance to survive and compete. But the whole idea of Formula One is to have various teams come up with their own ideas in order to compete. Hmm. No, absolutely. And it rewards innovation. It is a sport that rewards innovation uh, and technological advances more than probably any other sport in the world. It literally does lead, uh, or, or they're like pioneers for this sort of thing. And... You know, this Williams approach, normally, as I said already, they go for the idealistic approach um, where everything's made bespoke in-house, as the manufacturer teams do, of course. They follow that same model. And as you mentioned, it has warranted a lot of success. It's brought them a lot of success in so many years in Formula One. They're the second most successful team in the sport, um, behind Ferrari, of course. So, you know, that level of success does not just come from you know, abandoning principles like this so willingly. And that's something Williams have struggled with for a long time. I mean, you mentioned an example. I'll give you an example from history. Back in the early 90s, Williams were seen as the dominant force in the sport. Of course, McLaren had their time with Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost. You know, Ferrari was still struggling. It wasn't until Michael Schumacher came along in the late 90s where they started to see an upturn in their fortunes. And, so, you know, so Williams really only had to worry about Benetton in particular. And at Benetton, again, it took um, a good couple of years until they started to really see tangible benefits from their efforts in 94 and 95 and possibly 96 if Michael Schumacher had stayed with the team then. As Ross Braun said, he felt that that car was good enough to win the championship. But back in 1996, Williams had struck a deal with Minardi. For those of you F1 veteran fans out there will remember Minardi um, before they, you know, changed and, be, you know, I'm trying to think of what team that they've become now, Minardi, I think. Am I right in thinking oh. that Minardi, who were Minardi? Minardi become Jaguar <laughs> and then Red Bull. Is that right? No, 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 that's Stuart. I don't know, Adam. 
Oh, oh God. Adam. This you is really your fact checks. No, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to think of who this is. So Minardi become, it was it Midland and then become Jordan. And then after that, I think Jordan became... Racing Point. Yes. Ah, yes. No, no, you're right. It is Racing Point. Yes. Because then race... Yeah, that's right. You're right, Courtney. Well done. Um, <laughs> they eventually become Racing Point. Um, if, if we're wrong and we're celebrating this, do quote us on this, but I think that's what it become. But anyway, back to the uh, history lesson, if you like. Back in 96, Minardi was struggling off of two unsuccessful seasons. They finished 10th in the Constructors' Championship in 94-95. They did a deal with Williams under similar circumstances to have some components from the Williams car. And obviously it produced an upturn in performance for them. They did relatively well that season uh, because Williams obviously won the World Championship with Damon Hill and the Constructors as well with Jack Villeneuve alongside him and obviously went to win the World Championship the next year after that. So... You know, this is the situation Williams find themselves in right now, where they need that support in certain areas from a team like Mercedes, who they've had a partnership for a long time, not necessarily a technical one, but they've been an engine supplier to the Williams team. And that's really about as far as it's gone. I think some people have confused the uh, relationship Williams and Mercedes have had for many years now since the turbo hybrid era is one that's on a similar level to racing point in terms of a technical perspective. That's not really been the case. And I think Williams have basically took the engine and that's it. That's all they've wanted from Mercedes. It's only until now where Doralton Capital, their new owners, the new investors who, you know, they're clearly serious about this Williams project to try and bring them back to the top. They cleared all of their debts once they bought them. They're trying to fortify this success for the team. And by taking this change in approach, it's a big shock to the system and it will be something Williams will have to get used to. I don't think that this means that they're going to become a B team to Mercedes. I think that this is going to be an approach that they will take for 2022. And bear in mind, I think this is a very, very good strategy to take um, to be as competitive as possible with Mercedes parts. And this includes the gearbox, the hydraulics, the engine, which of course, from what we've been hearing is going to be even better than it was, which is insane. And, you know, you've got that on top of the potential rear suspension parts. What this is going to allow Williams to do is allocate personnel that would have been working from the gearbox and the hydraulics department and possibly the rear suspension as well if they do decide to include that as a transferable part. Again, we don't know that for a fact, but that's what we believe. If they do that, they can then take the personnel and resources from those departments and allocate them to other areas of the car that perhaps have not been given as much love in the past, but get that extra benefit resource and which in turn gives them a better car for 2022. And that is such a huge dynamic to consider. I mean, let's consider this, guys. Williams, in 2022, there's going to be very little carryover from the 2021 car to the 2022 car. We know that from the new regulations. Transferable parts, I think, is the new buzzword. Instead of listed parts, which obviously have to be made in-house versus non-listed parts that you can buy from other teams. There's limited on those. And those transferable parts are going to be very, very key going forward. And... Williams, with the plan that they've got for 2022, I'll be honest with you, Courtney, I think this is actually a very, very good plan. I know hardcore Williams fans won't like this. Yeah, I know hardcore Williams fans won't like this at its core because it's a, it's in a way, it kind of is abandoning their principles, but I would say it's more like a middle ground. You are sacrificing some of your ownership on your direction and where your concept of your car wants to go in terms of the design concepts um you know the way you want to package your car the way the suspension works and all that a lot of that is going to now be governed by mercedes and the direction they want to go but when you consider that 
as I said already, it allows you to allocate money, time and resources to departments that probably wouldn't have got that if Williams kept their approach, which at this point is not working, um, as we've seen for many years. But on the flip side, in, or in addition to that, it's going to allow them um, to have that freedom in other areas and also benefit from having the best team giving you some of their parts. It basically, you know, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I guess the plan for Williams is very much reliant on how successful the 2022 regulations changes are because like the fear that I sort of stressed like towards the end of my last point was that it, it seems that you've got the big three teams and then you've got their academies and I don't know how I quite feel about that. But with the whole idea for 2022 is to level the playing field. So I suppose for Williams' perspective, you know, you're right, they want to exploit as much as they can from their relationship with Mercedes. So it's almost a short-term pain to their name with a hope of long-term gain, given how 2022 will go. And another look at like the, the three big teams. I feel that Mercedes are in the most awkward position because it seems that with Ferrari, with Haas and Alfa Romeo, they have two, two teams that seem to be more happy to be subordinates. Hmm. Same with, obviously, Alpha Tower, Red Bull. But with Mercedes, you've already got Aston Martin that have um, big ambitions to make their own name. Same with Williams and McLaren. McLaren will want to be... They, they still consider themselves to be one of the biggest names in Formula 1 and want to be competing at the front. So I think as successful as Mercedes have been through the past few, uh, few years, I feel they, they face the biggest challenge from... Their, should we say customer teams compared to the other two big teams hmm. and, and that's a really good point to make you, you mentioned you know Haas in particular Alfa Romeo maybe less so than before I think Ferrari is going to be channeling a lot more of their time and resources into this Haas team as I said for mm. Project Schumacher um, Red Bull obviously have Alfa Tauri but Alfa Tauri kind of act mostly independently on their own anyway there's just a technical partnership and Red Bull just let them get on with it and that's worked mm. with them for a long time it, it gives them that platform to have uh, their junior drivers go into that team and then straight into the senior team if they're successful and obviously of course we're going to be uh, putting a great video out on uh, explaining that in a bit more detail and the shortcomings Red Bull are faced with that but that's kind of the tactic in mind you know Mercedes want to avoid a position where they've got potentially now three teams that whilst on the surface it seems like they might be happy to play second fiddle to the leading Mercedes team we've already seen occasions this season in McLaren, obviously not with the Mercedes parts, um, so there's no obligation to follow suit. And Racing Point, more so this season, where they've not exactly sort of uh, subsided away or, or submitted to the Mercedes dominance to sort of play like, OK, I'm going to back you up and let the Mercedes win. Mercedes have had to go and take the initiative themselves. And I feel that that's going to increase so much more in the future. And that's a really good point to make. One thing I would add to that um, not necessarily a caveat but something that I feel that Williams should take heart of the hardcore Williams fans if you're worried about uh, the team becoming a subordinate to Mercedes or a B team if you like is having a technical partnership with a team like Mercedes for so many years has not exactly meant that Racing Point in particular as an example have designed a car that is basically a Mercedes copy until now the concept of the cars have been completely different. The only reason why that's changed now is because Andrew Green, uh, the technical 
uh, designer at um, Racing Point has said, well, we looked at the best car, the W11 or W10, I should say. Um, we took pictures of it and blueprints and everything else. Of course, we have, we found out the brake ducts as well were included and they got penalised for it. But they basically took that and made that car. Um, and then they went there. And then even after that, they went their own way with it. They didn't continue to follow the Mercedes path. They thought, OK, we've got a great base here. We're going to try and do a better job with that car than what Mercedes did with the W11. And that's some task. But it just shows that with Williams fans that are concerned about the car and are concerned about which direction this team is now going using the Mercedes resources. Are they going to be following Mercedes as a subordinate? That may not necessarily be the case. It's a good stopgap for now. And I think for resources, for this limited growth over time that Williams will want rather than trying to fast track success, I think this is a good approach. I mean, we've seen teams in the past, Courtney, that have tried to fast track success and they've burned brightly to start with and then they fade away. They just drop because they've got no plan going forward. I think with Williams and if, you know, adopting this approach, it gives them that room, as I said already, to redeploy people to other areas so they can come up with their own concept to suit what Mercedes have given them, but maximize that and perhaps do a better job than Mercedes have done with theirs. We'll have to wait and see how that goes uh, from 2022 because everyone's going to be on an equal playing field. So there's a great opportunity for Williams to make a, take advantage of this. Um, but on top of that, They'll be able to design uh, if, if it doesn't work for them or if they feel something's better or if Mercedes try to cut them off because Williams are doing a better job than them. There's going to be other teams or perhaps Williams may decide or other teams that might support them or Williams may decide to go back to designing everything in-house themselves and then just get a power unit from Renault for example, like they did in the 90s. Yeah, that's, and that, that's a good idea, yeah. And that worked out really well for them. With the engines that we've got at the moment, I can't see why that wouldn't be a bad idea. So temporarily, it may seem like Williams are doing what they need to to climb up the field. And I think this is a very good strategy choice. But long term, I just feel that this is something that Williams have options to chop and change, if you like. And if it's not working for them, they can, you know, make use of that and, you know, go back to what they were. Um, you know, it, I, I think this is a great move for Williams. I don't see a downside for this. And I feel that this is a silver bullet, if you like, that Williams have had to bite for some time. Um, perhaps because of the situation with COVID and the financial issues that they face. I mean, they posted losses of over 13 million a couple of years ago, which really served as a catalyst for this new investment from new owners uh, taking over from Sir Frank and Claire Williams. Um, it's something that Williams probably should have done a few years ago, but I'm glad they're doing it now. Um, I, I'm excited for them. I think this is really good. And this is also good for George Russell. You know, we were talking a long time about George Russell. Um, you know, what, what's his next step forward? He had the taste of the Mercedes and he did so well. He needs to put himself in a position that he could capitalise on. Now, of course, if this takes, if, if, when this happens in 2022, he may be in the Mercedes already, but if he's not and stays in the Williams, we might get a better opportunity to see what George can do in the midfield or perhaps further up the grid, you never know, um, than he would do sitting in a Williams that's straggling at the back. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, this this partnership does change everything for him because that was the big fear, is that if George Russell doesn't get a seat at Mercedes, he's not going to be able to showcase his talent. And uh, you never know, 2022... For those of you who don't know, these new regulations could really, really transform the grid. 
Mm. You know, they, they could be teams towards the bottom. You could find being right towards it. Could be a real mixed bag. You know, I, I don't have, I don't, I'd be very shocked if the three big teams are the three top teams in 2022. One of the big teams always makes a slip up when there's a big regulation change. And there's going to be some shocks. And that's the whole plan for Williams. They're hoping to capitalise on this. So you're right. It might not be the end of the world for George if it doesn't go to Mercedes. He could well get his opportunity in 2022 regardless. Hmm. And, I, I mean, you made a good point about the uh, top three teams in Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, uh, not necessarily having it be a foregone conclusion that they're going to dominate um, from the from lights out in the first race in 2022. And I suppose that's true more now than ever because a year ago, when before COVID happened, when the world was a much happier place, um, by contrast, you know, in general, um, the rulemakers had the cost cap and envisioned it to be applied in 2022, meaning that all of the development and all of the resources ploughed into the 2021 cars, as they were meant to be, would not have been subject to this cost cap. So the top teams would have been able to plough, I'm talking like half a billion pounds of development, or something crazy like that maybe, into these cars so that they have an advantage over all of the other teams that don't have anywhere near that much spending power. That's not going to be the case anymore, at least up to a point. They've obviously developed the cars so far up to a point until development was frozen. Once the development has reopened, which I believe it has now, the teams are going to be subject to that cost cap already. So they can't afford to spend more than they're going to be allotted. So this will allow the pack to be more bunched up and this will provide opportunities. I still think with all that being said, Williams taking the approach to increase their technical partnership with Mercedes, getting a gearbox, getting new hydraulics, possibly a new rear suspension layout as well with and other transferable parts. This will put them on a good uh, platform to try and take what they've got from Mercedes and then build on from that. Yes, it's going to be restrictive in terms of development, at least from the rear end of the car. But as I said already, they're going to deploy personnel and resources to other areas. And I I think this could be a big thing for Williams. It won't, I'd I'd be surprised if it bears uh, immediate results. I really will. But I wouldn't rule out in saying that it could be the one thing Williams needed to do to bring that car to the front of the grid. And when they get to the front of the grid, as I said already, they can abandon the Mercedes concept, try and take what they've learned from that, build their own version of it, and then get a, put a Renault engine in it. And then it would be fine because Renault as an engine supplier will probably prefer that approach. And it gives Williams more freedom again, like they've had before. So it's a good start it to is. the project. Mm. It's, um, there is a lot of encouragement. You're right with that approach. You know, going back to the 2022 point, the last couple of times there were massive regulation change. And I look at 2009 and 2014, in 2009, McLaren won the biggest teams at the time. They really struggled. Ferrari struggled a bit. And this actually led to the emergence of Braun, obviously, had done fantastic, and mm. Red Bull, who are now one of the biggest teams. And in 2014, you, we saw Mercedes become the top, top team. And in that season in particular, we saw both Ferrari and Red Bull struggle. So I really do believe in 2022, we could be seeing a new name or maybe even two names constantly going for podiums and wins. And why, why could it not be Williams? There's a good opportunity. It could be them given the, the plans that they have for the team. Well, as I said, it's been uh, 23 years since Williams were at the top or 24 years, I should say, since Williams were at the top in formula one and they've, their fall from grace is very much well documented. And it is not, uh, it's not a good story 
for the Williams fans. They definitely feel starved of success. Um, I mean, Ferrari are not too far behind them, but I digress on that much. Um, it, as to say, it, it's something that we were hoping would happen for Williams for a while now. We felt that they needed to do this. It's not as bad as it sounds. Williams, I don't believe, are going to turn themselves into a B team. I think they've reached a happy medium with this where they can get what they want from Mercedes but not have to worry about feeling like they're limited. Uh, They'll hit a ceiling when they start threatening Mercedes. I don't think that's going to be an issue. And even if it does, they've got options to, you know, go away from that in the future. Um, You know, before the end of this podcast, Courtney, I think it's probably worth talking about this B team concept. We've talked about it already in some lengths, but... Do you feel with this acquisition or this agreement that Williams have made with Mercedes, do you feel that it's inevitable that we're going to end up with a system? If we don't have one already, where Formula One is separated into a few tiers, where you've got the leading protagonist or the manufacturers or the leading private teams in Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. And then after that, you've got the teams below them, their B and C teams in Haas and Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, and then you've got McLaren, Aston Martin, and also Williams as well. How do you see that going in Formula One over the next decade? Yeah, like as I previously said, I think a lot of it comes down to how these uh, regulation changes. I think it's the effect of the regulation changes that could really define the next era of Formula One. And I, I really do hope that there is a shake-up in the group because a lot a lot of fans are starving for something new. Um, as much as, as individuals, we've loved seeing our teams dominate the sport in the past 20 years. A lot of people want to see something new. And I think, yeah, they'll be hoping for a couple of these smaller teams to have a chance to make their own name, make their own history. But if these 2022 regulations don't have the desired effect, you're right. I think we're going to see a continuation because this has been happening more and more the past 10 years. As I said at the start, particularly after the the, um, the V6 Turbo era, we have seen, we've seen it happen, first of all, with the engines, now we're seeing it more often with the drivers and now we're actually seeing it with concepts and parts. So it really does depend on where the teams go from 2022 onwards. Mm. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. There's become a larger reliance on synergies being formed between some of the leading teams and some of the smaller ones. I think why I feel that this could be, even after 2022, I feel if we have the desired effect, I still think this is going to be a thing. And I think the reliance on the uh, partnerships, if you like, between you know the teams like Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, and some of the others at the back end of the grid, um, I think that's still going to be more ever-present. And I think the bigger teams are going to need to rely on this as much as the smaller teams are. And the reason I say this is because whereas the small teams are going to get the benefit of the technical expertise from the top teams, uh, you know, the engines, the suspension, the chassis, et cetera, et cetera, up to where the regulations permit, it's going to allow them to be in a position where they obtain those resources at a cost, but it means that they can allocate their own resources elsewhere and it might be cheaper for them. It usually be cheaper for them to make their own, but obviously the, you know, the extra cost may be mitigated by the extra performance they're going to get versus spending millions on something yourself and you make yourself and it turns out to be crap by comparison. Um, you know, that, that's always the plight that the smaller teams have had, but the bigger teams are going to need this now because of the cost cap. And I feel like these synergies are going to be important, not necessarily from a performance perspective, but as we've seen already, Ferrari are now allocating personnel to go and work at this new facility that they're building at Maranello for Haas. 
as I said, for Project Schumacher, I like to call it. Um, that, that, that is the driver for the catalyst. They're certainly not doing yeah. it for Mazepin. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, if it was for Mazepin, they'd probably just shut the door and lock it and just say, like, bye, and go back to Alfa Romeo. But um, so, you know, they're doing that. And, you know, Red Bull have had their partnership with Alfa Tauri, which I'm sure they're going to be able to move more personnel there. So I'm sure a lot of those Red Bull engineers are going to have to get uh, some European passports to uh, casually go back and forth between Milton Keynes and uh, Imola as well, where the uh, Alpha Tower team is based. And then you see that with Mercedes as well. Although in Mercedes' case, I don't think they're really going to be letting too many personnel go. It'll probably go to Williams. They're definitely not going to go to Aston Martin. Aston Martin are going to be the noisy neighbours, mm-hmm. if you like. And Only McLaren. The... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. McLaren... McLaren have set out on their own project anyway. We know what direction McLaren were going in with this partnership with Mercedes. We know it's purely just going to be about engines and gearboxes. And McLaren will do what Williams have tried to do for so long, but ultimately have been unsuccessful. And I think McLaren have looked like they're in a great position to achieve that. With um, Aston Martin, this technical partnership that they've had, as we've often said, Racing Point were like the Mercedes B team. And I've said that as a disgruntled Ferrari fan, when you find in races, Racing Point holding up the Ferraris to help Mercedes. Maybe that's just how I see these races when Ferrari are not winning, uh, not necessarily this season, but this season's gone by. Um, I personally think Aston Martin are going to go completely the opposite direction now. So we're going to start to see a paradigm shift, whereas Williams go one way towards more of a technical partnership with Mercedes to suit their needs. Aston Martin are going to start to go the other way. And you will start to find that whilst they have this concept of the Mercedes, at least for 2021, what they do 2022 onwards is a big project for them. And they'll have the right people there to do it. They certainly do the old racing point force India personnel who have done so much with so little. These guys are going to be ones to watch out for. I can guarantee you that, but we're going to see them shift away from this technical partnership with Mercedes to a point where they will probably hope that they're going to be rivals with them competing for championships again. And I'll tell you what, that would be something pretty good to see. I mean, we could end up in a situation in 2022 where everyone's so close together that B teams and C teams, all of this concept go completely out the window because at the end of it, you've got the cars and the teams may decide, okay, we've got to be subordinate. But you imagine trying to tell Sebastian Vettel to be a subordinate to Lewis Hamilton, as good as their relationship (laughs) is, that is not happening. Seb, Seb is a gentleman and a purist of Formula One, but he is a racer by heart. And there is no way on God's green earth that he would, you know, as green as that Aston Martin is going to be, that he is going to want to do something like that. So as much as I think, you know, to sum it all up, as much as I think this B team, C team concept is going to be ever present in Formula One for years to come, and it will suit both sides, not necessarily about keeping the pecking order the way it is. It's more of a resource pragmatic um, concept. But I think on the racetrack, that is all going to completely go away, especially if the pecking order is really condensed, as we hope it will be. You know, that's Mm. the desired effect. That's the sport we want to see. Um, I mean, is there anything more you wanted to add on this? Because I think we've pretty much covered all of this in a lot already. For once, once, Adam, we've actually got to the points precisely. I'm very happy with uh, Aris gone. But as always, everyone, as much as me and Adam love to chat, Please do get involved because no, we're we're doing this for you as well. So if you do have any thoughts, do let us know underneath in the comment section because we do we do appreciate them. We really love the amount of comments we got in the uh, in the last episode, and uh, it really does. It really we really love to hear different voices, and you know, 
it helps us in the future episodes. You know, we want to we want to air your opinions, we want to air your feedback on certain topics to you know to fire up the conversation. So please do let us um, let us know what you think because we really do appreciate what you have to say. Absolutely. Um, you know, I can't have said it better myself. And it's great that you guys are engaging with us. I mean, we love engaging with F1 fans. We love engaging with the F1 community. And it's always a good opportunity to hear perspectives from different people. Like the last episode that we did, I was not surprised to see that some of you were not big fans of some of the demands that Lewis Hamilton was putting in or requesting for his contract. You know, as I said last week, it's absolutely fine if you're not a fan of Lewis Hamilton. Sometimes I feel that there's a misconception that everyone has to be a Lewis fan. It's okay if you're not. But as we said before, don't make it for the reasons that are just fabricated by newspapers and journalists and clickbait artists that want to create stories to, uh, you know, knock back his credibility on things that are just complete falsehoods or just stupid things that aren't relevant. You know, stuff like uh, in the UK, they always talk about Lewis being getting all of these awards won the sports personality of the year and being praised as a British sporting hero or a knight etc and yet doesn't pay taxes which is absolutely ridiculous and it's 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 bad journalism you know in a way to you know to do stuff like that but the you know the idea is to try and sway people's opinions on him or to buy papers and create these negative opinions of someone which are completely unfounded but it's okay if as a sport, you know, as a sportsman, you're not a fan of him because you support another team or you feel that perhaps what he's requesting is a bit too much. That's absolutely fine. And it's great that some of you are weighing in on that as well. It's not just the Lewis Hamilton fan club, you know, as great as that is, you can't expect everybody to like one person. Michael Schumacher was certainly a very divisive character and I would never expect everybody to support him, even though he was my childhood hero. You know, it's all about perspective and it's great. As long as you guys can keep it respective in an F1 community, then that's fantastic because we want that engagement. We want to engage with you guys and we're absolutely loving it that you are taking the time out of your lives to check out our content and let us know that we're doing a good job. So I hope we are. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining the family. And we look forward to uh, making more good stuff for you in the future. We've got good plans for this season going forward. Oh, I certainly second that, Adam, honestly. I'm really happy about things are going. But yeah, carry on engaging with us. We live for it. Absolutely. And on that note, make sure to like this video if you enjoyed it and subscribe to the channel and join our ever-grown F1 family, or DNF1 family, I should say, if you are. And uh, the next episode that we're going to be doing is something a little bit different. We're going to be trying to tease a potential retro series where we look back at previous seasons or races gone by some of the better moments in formula one that we've enjoyed and experienced as fans and basically analyze it talk about it a bit more and also reminisce a little bit of nostalgia as well because there's you know sometimes that's always best i love watching classic races in the past and you know reminiscing and that and hopefully you can join us for that as well so we're going to be trialing that uh, during pre-season and we hope that you guys enjoy it but of course let us know when we do those episodes what you think of them if it's successful we'll continue with that as a regular thing going forward if not we'll put a pin on it and we'll do some other things as well we've got plenty to look forward to and we've got some new guests coming on the show very very soon as well so it'll be more than just uh, these two handsome beautiful gentlemen here that you got to look at as well uh, on a weekly basis so um until then, I should say thanks for joining me once again, Courtney, and co-hosting this episode. Absolute pleasure having you on with me as always. Yeah. Always is, mate. Um, yeah, very, very happy. Very, actually, very excited. Very excited, particularly for this retro series. I'm buzzing for this one. Like when we mm. come up with the idea, 
it was just yeah we're really happy with this and we hope it goes well because we've got plenty of enthusiasm and we hope you enjoy it absolutely and we hope you guys enjoy it too but uh, until then guys thanks for tuning in stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of dnf1 f1 podcast take care see you soon Network.